All right, I wanna start with a little bit of an experiment. And so what I'm gonna do is in just a moment, when I say go, I'm gonna have all of you start to take in a deep breath, okay? But here's the deal. You gotta keep on breathing in until I say stop, okay? So you can take in as much air as you want, but don't let any out until I let you, okay? You ready for this? Here we go. All right, three, two, one, breathe in. Just keep breathing in, inhale, just in, not out, in. Okay, stop. All right, Uh, that's an old public speaking trick. Just uh, get your audience lightheaded before you start, okay? What, what was the problem there, okay? Uh, probably some of you thought, well, I could keep going for a little bit longer, but within a minute or so, every single one of you would be saying, well, I'm not getting enough air, which is really strange because you're surrounded by air. Like there's more oxygen in here than you could possibly use up. So why is it that as you are bringing in more air, you feel like you don't have enough? You have an abundance, but it feels like scarcity. This is a strange paradox about abundance, The person who only receives, who only takes in, is very often the person who feels like they don't have enough. And the flip side is actually true as well. Our sense of abundance increases when we start to give out. Uh, When we give out, we find out actually there's still much more than we need. That's the idea behind this current all-church campaign and the teaching series we're in called Overflow. Uh, Here's the reality. We have been given so much from God. That we have received forgiveness and freedom. We have received a family and a future. We've been given gifts and abilities. We've received relationships and resources. We should have a sense of abundance in our lives, shouldn't we? But most of you, if you're like me, we, we get stuck in a scarcity mindset. Th- this feeling like we just don't have enough. And, and that sense of scarcity uh, makes us stingy and self-protective makes us fearful and close-handed with what we have. We guard our attention and our money and our time and our compassion. And I don't know about you, but I hate that I do that. I really don't want to be that sort of person. So how do we get a sense of abundance? Uh, Scripture teaches us that human beings were made to both receive and to give. We've got to do both of those to thrive. We've got to breathe in and breathe out. We, We take in food and we expend energy. We are loved and we love in return. That's how we flourish. We receive and we give. And it's the reason we're doing this series. It's the reason we've dubbed this year the year of the volunteer. This year we want to see everyone who calls Christ Community Church their home uh, find a place to serve in some way on a regular basis. Because we know that if you only take in but you never give out, you are going to be unhealthy and you're going to get stuck in a mindset of scarcity. So the last two weeks, we've been talking about a number of different areas where God has blessed us abundantly. We've talked about our gifts and our abilities. We've talked about the comfort that God gives when we're suffering. And today, we're going to be focusing in on the topic of time. Now, some of you might be thinking, abundance, time, this sounds crazy. There's there's no way this makes sense, okay? Uh, Let's do a show of hands. Uh, Quick, uh, right here, I want you to raise them high. How many of you feel like you have an abundance of time? Raise your hand. Okay, now everybody look around. Keep your hands up, guys. Look around and see those people. Uh, If you just raise your hand, I just want to inform you, everybody hates your guts. Because most of us, most of us uh, feel like we are strapped for time. That we wonder how we're going to get all the things done that we need to get done. Uh, We we feel like our lives just go from one thing to the next thing and we can never slow down. These days it feels like everybody is busy. We've got more demands on our time than ever before and our schedules are just packed. 
In fact, it's, it's really common for cultural commentators to lament the pace of modern life and talk about all the negative effects it has on us. Uh, let me share with you a few quotes I found in some opinion columns from a, a few different news sources. Uh, one person noted the negative effects of modern technology. They said, Diseases of the mind are almost as numerous as diseases of the body due to the hurry of modern life with its rapid locomotion and almost instantaneous communication. Uh, another person points out how hurry affects our brains. That the cause of the increase in mental illness is increased demand made by the conditions of modern life upon the brain. Everything is done in a hurry. Uh, other people, they point out how our busy schedules, they steal from the ordinary joys of life. One person said, to take sufficient time for our meals seems frequently impossible on account of the demands on our time. We act like all our business is so pressing that we must jump on the quickest car home, eat our dinner in the most hurried way, and get back to work. That describes a lot of us, doesn't it? Our lives, the people around us. Now here's the interesting thing about each of those quotes. Each of those editorials was published over 100 years ago. Uh, the first was in 1895, the second in 1896, and the third in 1898. And I could have gone back further. Uh, I actually found an essay from a first century philosopher, a guy named Seneca. He was a, a contemporary of Paul and Jesus. Uh, and he wrote this essay to talk about how, to uh, teach people how to slow down and not let life just fly past you. Uh, it, it could have been written today. And it makes me wonder if maybe the problem is not the demands of 21st century life. What if people have always felt like time is a scarce commodity? Maybe we actually have more time than we think we do. I mean, if you've ever done the math, you, you realize we do have a lot of discretionary time. If you work 10 hours a day and you sleep eight hours a night, which is more than most people get, that still leaves you 62 hours of personal time every single week. That's more than two and a half days of discretionary time. You can do a lot with 62 hours. So, so maybe we have more time than we feel like we do. But even so, time is different than a lot of the other things we've been talking about in this series. In a lot of ways, it is more limited. Now, even when you read the Bible, it does not use images of abundance when it talks about our time. Uh, here are some of the metaphors the Bible actually uses. Book of James says that our life is like a vapor just blows away in the wind. Uh, Isaiah says that we're like grass in the field. We flower for a moment and then we wither and we're gone. The, the Psalms say that our life is just like a, a little handful of time compared to eternity. We, we are not given a lot of time. And, and not only is life short, but it's also just very full. Uh, so many of us feel like if we think if we could just slow down, if I could just eliminate some things in my life, then maybe I'd feel like I had enough time. So we try to simplify our lives. And anybody who's done that knows it's a lot easier said than done. As hard as we try, our lives still end up full. Here's the thing though. I don't think we have to feel bad about our full lives. And the reason I say that is because of Jesus. Jesus, who lived a shorter life than most people, just 33 years, did not live a slow-paced, simple life. Let me show you this to you. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to the book of Mark, to Mark chapter 1. Uh, Mark is one of the four biographies of Jesus in the New Testament. It's actually the shortest one. It's the one that we usually recommend that people start with because if you read a chapter a day, you finish in about two weeks. Uh, and the book of Mark has a very unique style. It is a very, very fast paced. Almost every scholar who studies Mark, they point out the same thing. They say there, there is a word used in the book of Mark that is used there more than any other place in the Bible. The word is euthus. 
And the word is usually translated immediately or right away. And it occurs 59 times in the Bible and 41 of those times are in the book of Mark. It happens so often that you can't even translate it the same way every time because it sounds really clunky in English how often Mark uses it. So in the very first chapter of Mark, it's translated all these different ways. It's translated at once and without delay and just then and quickly and as soon as they were done and immediately. And as you read the book of Mark, you get the sense that Jesus goes from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing. He's very, very busy. And we're told that Jesus worked late nights and he got up early in the morning that he was responding to constant demands on his time, people who always needed a piece of his attention. And we often imagine Jesus just kind of floating through life. You know, he's on a relaxing stroll, just always kind of in this, you know, zen moment of, of peace and these deep conversations leisurely on the way. But that wasn't what his life was like. His life was like ours. It was full of responsibilities. And just because he was God, it didn't make it easier for him. He, he was fully human. He is fully human. That means he could only be in one place at a time, he had limited energy. He had the same 24 hours a day that you and I do, and it was just as packed. And that meant Jesus got tired. We've got multiple accounts where, where Jesus was worn out at the end of the day, and he's got to take a nap. You ever think about Jesus that way? You know, flopping down, worn out on a, on a couch or on a, uh, on a bed, and he's just completely exhausted from all that's happened? But here's a remarkable thing, though. As busy as Jesus was, when you read the Gospels, you never, ever get the impression that he was stressed that he was rushed, that he was hurried or harried in his life. In fact, there are a few places where, where Jesus is told, hey, you're, you're gonna be late for this. You're, we're, we're running behind. And Jesus never gets panicked about it. His days were always packed, but Jesus lived his life as if he was brimming with time. How did he do that? How did he get that sense of abundance even with a full schedule? Now, I'll tell you this. The reason Jesus was not hurried or frantic was not a matter of what was going on out here. It was a matter of what was going on in here. There's a pastor named John Ortberg who says this. I think it's very wise. He says, hurry is not just a disordered schedule. It's a disordered heart. I think that's true. As you read the book of Mark, you realize the reason went through his life with a sense of peace was because he had some of the deepest questions of life answered the right way. The questions of who am I and why am I here? He had this sense of identity and purpose that shaped how he saw his time. Let's look at that first question. Who am I? One of the reasons our schedules are packed is because we spend most of our time working for our identity, not from our identity. Let me explain that. Working for our identity means that when you see your identity as something you have to earn, you have to do something for. So you answer the question, who am I, by pointing out what you do. So your sense of value, your sense of significance is conditional on whether you're advancing in your company or whether you get into the college that you want or whether you're the super parent whose kids are well-rounded and successful in lots of areas. If you succeed in those things, you have earned your identity. If you fail in those things, you haven't. You've either proved you're enough or you're not. And so working for your identity is what fuels our hectic schedules. You take on extra assignments. You, you spread yourself thin with extracurriculars. You're constantly driving from practices to music lessons to tutoring sessions because you feel like you've got to do these things. And it's hard to keep up with everything. And every time you sit down and say, I want to try to trim this. I want to take something out. Everything feels essential because you're using it to prove your worth. It is really hard to say no to something when your sense of self depends on that thing. You're living for your identity. But that is not how Jesus lived. He didn't live for his identity, he lived from it. 
He started with a sense of who he was. Uh, let me show this to you in Mark chapter 1, verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan River. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. This is such an amazing passage, so let's thank God for it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. At Jesus' baptism, the, the voice of the Father calls out from heaven and says what has always been true of Jesus. He says, you are my son and I love you and you make me so happy. When Jesus answered that question, who am I? This is what was ringing in his ears. That he is the beloved son of God, the object of the father's delight. And what's important about this is to realize this is the very first thing that happened in Jesus's ministry. He hadn't done anything yet. He hadn't taught a crowd. He hadn't done a miracle. He, he hadn't died. He hadn't risen from the dead. Jesus's identity was secure from the very start. And the way he lived flowed from his sense of identity as the son of God. This means that Jesus' full schedule was not an attempt to secure uh, his worth or his value. And our schedules don't have to be either. See, you and I are not the eternal son of God. I hate to break it to you. We, we are not God's natural children, so to speak. But if we are in Christ, we are adopted children of God. But when we surrender to Jesus, we are united with him and he shares with us his status as the son of God. We become the brothers and sisters of Jesus. And the Father sees us the same way that he sees Jesus, as one of his beloved children. So when you answer the question, who am I? This has got to be the first answer you give. I am the beloved son or daughter of God. If you are in Christ, that is who you are. And you don't have to earn it. When you surrender to Jesus, even before you've cleaned up your life, before you've served God in any way, you are already, already a child of God. That we are loved by God. We are accepted by God, not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus has done for us. And that means nothing, nothing can threaten this. Nothing can threaten our identity as long as we are in Christ. And that means our schedules don't need to be driven by a search for this identity. We don't need to chase after performance or accomplishment. Your, your work, your grades, your wins and losses do not define you. Your social life doesn't define you. Your parenting skills don't define you. God's love defines you. You are the beloved of God. Now, of course, that's easy to say. But it's really hard to have it sink in, isn't it? I mean, none of you are surprised that I'm standing up here saying, hey, God loves you, you know? Like, you, you probably already believe that, at least in your head. But why is it that your heart is so unconvinced? Why, why is it that you are still living as if you've got to prove yourself? I think the key to life is making sure that we are reminded again and again, every day, every week, and maybe even every hour of who we are in Jesus. It's got to get lodged deep into our hearts. Uh, maybe if you've ever been in a dating relationship, you've experienced something like this, where you, you haven't had a, a, a quality time with uh, your boyfriend or your girlfriend in a while. You haven't gone on a date in a few weeks. And, and maybe you see them, you know, in sort of uh, casual things. You see them at school or, you know, at church or whatever, and you run into them. You're still texting some, but you haven't really sat down and had a good time with them in a while. 
And there's no reason to think that anything is wrong with your relationship, but for some reason, just because that time has passed, you start to say, well, maybe, maybe they're just, you know, not as into me as they used to be. Or maybe, you know, maybe, maybe they're annoyed with me for some reason. Or you start to have all these questions and say, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe our relationship isn't as good as we thought. And that person might still be crazy about you, but, but you don't feel it, you don't know it, you feel insecure because you haven't had time to be with them and experience their care for you. The same thing happens with God. The, the longer it has been since you've had quality time with God, where you've interacted with him, you start to feel like maybe he's not that into me anymore. Maybe his love's grown a little cold. And, and it might not have anything to do with how he feels with you. In fact, he's still crazy about you, but the insecurity grows because you haven't had the reminder recently. This is why the very first decision we need to make about our time is how we are going to fit into our routine, how are we gonna make the first thing in our routine something that keeps us rooted in the love of God. When you look at Jesus' life, you can see that he did things. You, you would think of all people who didn't need to be reminded of this, it would be Jesus, but Jesus worked into his life these moments with God. Let me, let me show you three things he did. Uh, look at, at Mark 1.35 here. It says, very early in the morning, well, it was still dark. Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus stayed rooted in God's love by spending time in prayer. Sometimes he did this early in the morning. Other times he stayed up late at night to do it. The question is this. Do you have a specific planned time in your day when you pause from everything else? I'm not just talking about sort of prayers on the run. Those are good. But I'm talking about a time when you sit and you talk with God and you listen to God and you hear how he loves you. Jesus had that in his life. Here's another thing Jesus did. You don't have to turn there, but Luke chapter four says this. On the Sabbath day, Jesus went into the synagogue as was his custom. And he goes to, to worship and to study God's word. That part of his routine was uh, to participate in public worship on a weekly basis. Uh, Jesus' life was filled with spiritual activity, far more than yours or mine are. But even so, this is one of the cornerstone habits of Jesus' life. He, he would gather as his custom in public worship. It, it was one of his dedicated, protected blocks of time. Is it for you? If weekly worship was important for Jesus' personal health, how much more is it for ours? Here's a third thing that Jesus did. Uh, Mark chapter six describes a situation where, where Jesus and the disciples have had this very full, very tiring day. So he says to the disciples, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. I love that. To stay rooted in God's love, Jesus and the disciples regularly took time to rest. Do you have rest built into your schedule? Do you ever get away to what this verse calls a quiet place? I think for many of us, a quiet place would include being untethered for a block of time from texts and emails and from social media and the things that grab our attention and distract us. How would your sense of time change if you had a day every single week when you didn't worry about doing anything that was productive? We need time to really, really rest. Do you have these sorts of things worked into your schedule? Now, here, here's the thing. Some of you are thinking, how is this gonna help me? You, you just added three more things that I'm supposed to fit into my schedule. We're talking about you know, ha having time for things and you just took up more of my time. Uh, let, let me just speak from personal experience. I have been trying to uh, work these sorts of things into my routine for most of my life. And sometimes I have been better at it than others. And I can tell you, that the seasons when I am more consistent in doing these things that keep me rooted in God's love are actually the times when I feel the least busy. 
And it's not because my calendar is suddenly clear. It might be just as full as it always has been. But I feel more grounded, uh, less, less harried and frantic in my life because of this. Uh, I think what these practices do is they turn down the, the volume on that inner voice that says to you, these activities really, really matter. This is your significance. This is your chance. If you blow this, this is going to really ruin things for you. It turns the volume down on that. And it turns the volume up on the voice that says, before you accomplish anything today, you are my child. You are loved. And I delight in you. The other thing is this. If you look at these practices, it's just obligations, like extra chores to do. Of course, it's going to feel like they're eating up your precious time. But what if instead of thinking of them as chores, you thought of them as meals? Because let's face it, no one, no one says, look, my schedule is so busy. You will never believe all the things I have to do. This morning, I had to get up and eat breakfast. And later today, I'm going to have to eat lunch. And then after I've done all my work today, I'm going to have to go home. And you know what I'm going to have to do? I'm going to have to eat dinner. And then tomorrow, I'm going to have to do it all again. It never ends. No one says that. Why? Because, well, you need to eat, first of all. But even when meals are not that exciting, in general, we kind of enjoy eating. It's a nice part of our day. And without eating, we're a cranky mess, right? Let's face it. If you think that meals are an intrusion into your time, something is seriously wrong with your lifestyle. We, we need to eat, but we also need to spend time with God. When Moses said that people will not live by bread alone, but by the very words that come out of the mouth of God, he was not using just a vivid image. He was speaking literally. Food keeps us alive physically, and prayer and scripture and public worship keep us alive spiritually. If we are not reminded again and again of who God is and who we are in Christ, we will starve spiritually. And what's more, as the, the love of God sinks into your heart, it actually changes how you view the rest of your time. Because here's what happens. You no longer feel like you are a slave to the expectations and the demands of the world around you. When you're secure in your identity as a beloved child of God, you're going to be able to say no to things. Because those things won't threaten your security and your status. Look at how this worked in Jesus' life. Uh, chapter 1, verse 36. Simon and his companions went to look for Jesus. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everybody's looking for you. And Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else. I love that. To the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That's why I have come. The crowds say to Jesus, come, come and do stuff for us. Teach us and perform miracles and we're gonna love you for it. To the heart that is searching for an identity, to, to someone who is insecure, that is an irresistible call. They, they gotta answer that demand. But, but to someone who knows that they have the acceptance and the approval and the delight of the only one who really matters, the, the God who made them, then that, does, that approval of the masses doesn't hold sway over them, doesn't have power. Uh, for many of us, this is the problem we have with our schedules. We're in, too insecure to say no to things. If I turn down this opportunity, how, how do I know if I'm going to get another one? Like, if I don't hang out with these people right now, they, they may think I don't want to be their friend and they, they won't invite me again. If I don't do a favor for this person, I'm going to be less valuable in their eyes or they're going to get upset at me and I, I don't want to rock the boat. But we're insecure. But when we are secure in the love of God, it's easier to say no to things because those things don't define us. This week, it'd be great if you looked at your to-do list and your, your calendar and you asked the question, does this schedule look like the schedule of someone who is living for their identity 
or someone living from their identity? Does this look like someone who's trying to earn or prove their worth, or does it look like someone who has found their worth in the love of God? If we're secure in our identity, we'll be able to say no to things. That's what Jesus did. But that doesn't mean Jesus said no to everything. In fact, he said yes to a lot of things. And remember, his life was very full. But his saying yes came from a secure place rather than a needy place. So how did Jesus decide what to say yes to? Uh, That was guided by his answer to the second question, why am I here? Why am I here? Uh, To answer that, let's flip ahead in the book of Mark. Turn with me to Mark chapter 10. Uh, In chapter 10, here's what's going on. A couple of disciples have come to Jesus and they have said, can we have the privilege uh, when you come into your kingdom of sitting at your right hand and at your left hand? Basically, you're saying, can, can one of us be the vice president and the other be the secretary of state? We want appointments in your cabinet. And this ticks off the other disciples, not because they had a problem with the question, but because someone beat them to it. And so they start arguing and everybody's saying, who's more worthy of this? Who's more worthy of that? Who should be in charge here? And so Jesus has to call them aside and and set things straight. And this is what he says. Jesus called them together and said, this is in verse 42, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's hard to overestimate how radical this is. This is Jesus who is the king of everything. He is the person who has the most authority to do whatever he wants with his time and his power and his resources. And he says, my purpose is not to be served, but to serve. When Jesus answered the question, why are you here? He said, to be the servant of all. And Jesus says, that should be our answer too. We are here to serve. See, Jesus was the perfect human being. Unlike anybody else in history, he actually lived life the way it was meant to be lived. And that means if we want to know what the ideal life is, we look at his And what we find out is that the ideal life is not strategically climbing the ladder of success. It is not by winning the admiration and respect of people around me. It is not filling your life with emotional bliss and physical pleasure. The ideal way to live the human life, the best life you can have, is to give yourself away for the sake of other people. Whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. If we're honest, deep down, We are all very selfish, aren't we? Uh, I know I am. I am incredibly stingy with my time. Uh, When my time feels limited, and it usually does, I get pretty defensive of it. Uh, I get irritable, even if it doesn't show, when something takes longer than it should. Uh, I resent interruptions and delays. But even if it's an inanimate object, you ever have this experience? You're in an elevator and you hit the floor you're going to, and there's just like that pause before the, the door closes. You know what you do in that time? you hit that door close button like crazy because you know what that half second of your life you're never getting it back and so you pound on that thing you know you know what i discovered this year i learned is uh those buttons they don't do anything like they're not connected to anything they're what is called a mechanical placebo uh, you know why they put them in there it's so that people like me who get really impatient have something to do while they're waiting uh, it, it sort of lets you feel like you're in control. The other thing uh, that, that is like this is those crosswalk buttons. They don't do anything. Not, not a thing. 
Why, why is it that we get so annoyed at things that waste our time? Because I look at my time through the lens of how much I'm getting done, what I need to do. I don't see myself as a servant. I see myself as a master. I'm in charge here. And as the master, I should be able to do what I want to do with my time. A master can interrupt a servant, but a servant can't interrupt a master. But what would happen if we internalize Jesus's purpose for his life, that we are made to be the servant of all? What if Jesus is actually right, that the most rewarding thing we can do is to put the needs of other people before our own? What if the servants really do end up first? How different would our lives be if this was the main question that drove our schedule? How can I use my time to serve the needs of other people? I'll tell you one thing that would happen really, really quickly is your relationships would vastly improve. Uh, Your relationships with your family, with your coworkers, with your friends. Uh, I mean, who doesn't want to be close to someone who is always looking out for other people? That's the sort of person you want to keep on your team. That's the sort of person you trust with more responsibility. That's the sort of person you open up to. That's a person that you thank God is in your life. And how would it change if you saw yourself as a servant of all? How would it change how you reacted to those unexpected interruptions in your life? There are a number of times in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus is interrupted. One of those times is when Jesus is trying to get away for some rest. He's had a a really hard day. Uh, He's had some bad news. He's done some hard work. And he's saying to his disciples, we got to go someplace and just, just get away from there. And what happens is the crowds actually follow him. They find Jesus when he's trying to get away. And Jesus looks on them, and he could have sent them away. He, he, he does that at times. But at this time, he looks at them, and he realizes their needs. He says he has compassion on them. And you know what he does next? He feeds 5,000 people with a few loaves and some fish. It, whenever I get an interruption in my day that's really bugging me, I try to remember that one of the most famous, most spectacular miracles of Jesus was the result of an interruption. What about our discretionary time? If you saw yourself as the servant of all, how would it change how you spent that 62 hours outside of work and sleep that you have every week? I was thinking about this, how we we always talk about uh, tithing from our income, from our money. As followers of Christ, as members of local churches, we we give away 10% of our income. But what if we thought about our discretionary time kind of like that? There's nothing in scripture that says we've got to do this, but it's a great thought experiment to say, what would happen if we all tithe from our free time? We gave 10% of our discretionary time to volunteer to serve someone else each week. Uh, For most of us, that would be four to six hours a week. I'll tell you this, if everybody who called Christ Community Church home did something like that, we would never worry about whether whether or not we had enough people to run our ministries We would be an incredible blessing to our community impact partners. We would make a huge difference in the community around us. We would have a stronger sense of community and belonging within the church because everybody would be bought in. We'd have a stake in what was going on here. And I tell you, all of us would be growing like crazy because we're following in the footsteps of Jesus and serving others. Now, of course, it may not be realistic to tithe from your free time. I don't know. But, but what if, even if we couldn't go that far, what if each of us said, you know, I'm going to up it by one hour. I'm going to volunteer one hour more a week than I currently am. You know what that would mean? That would be a quarter million man hours every single year. That, that, that's a huge increase. Uh, it, that would be the equivalent of adding an additional full-time staff to our church. That would be amazing. Think of what that would do. You know, if you want to know how you're doing spiritually, 
Two of the best questions you can ask are this. When I get a little bit of extra money, what do I do with it? When I get a little extra time, how do I spend it? Your budget and your calendar reveal what really matters to your heart. This is the reason why one of our personal applications for the overflow campaign this week is to do a time audit. You ever done one of these? Uh, You can find detailed instructions on the overflow page on our website about this, but the basic idea is this. Uh, You spend a week and you keep track of what you really do with your time. So you you set an alarm uh, and it goes off every 30 minutes, every hour or so, and whenever it goes off, you just write down what you've been doing uh, around that time. And and what you end up with is a picture, not of what you uh, think you're planning on doing or what you tell people that you're doing, but what you actually do with your time. And and after a week of doing this, you start to get a really realistic picture uh, of what you do. What would that reveal about your life? If you did that and you actually showed someone your list of things you were doing, would someone say, you know what? This person is the servant of all. This is a person who served their family, who served their employer. They they served their church. They served their community. I'm guessing a lot of us will be surprised at what the time audit actually shows. Some of you already know what it will show. You know that you're not serving and you're already thinking, you know, I really should do something more to serve. Uh, This week is the last week of our serving connection at each of our campuses. Uh, It's a chance for you to walk up and talk with someone from each of our ministries to find out where the opportunities are. If you have not done that yet, I would highly encourage you to do that as we leave today to just go out and just find out what the opportunities are. Or if you want to go online and uh, use the Simply Serve uh, website uh, and do that and search based on your availability, based on your interests and find something, uh, please do that uh, before the week is out. Uh, And as you do that, uh, just make sure you're not just window shopping. I I know it's great to go and find out what the opportunities are, but you got to jump in and at least try one. And and here's the thing. If if you try something, you don't like it, you can always try something else. You are not stuck doing that thing if it's not a good fit for you. Uh, I know there are some of you here who uh, see the opportunities going on and you say, you know what? Uh, Right now in my life, it it is really hard for me to serve and volunteer. Maybe you've got uh, an illness that keeps you at home a lot or or saps a lot of your energy or you've had an injury or there's some life circumstance that keeps you homebound in a lot of ways. I want want to just say to you guys, you you are an incredibly valuable part of our church and we are so glad you're a part of our community. And here's what I encourage you to do. If you say, I can't get out to the church to, to do this or that, Commit to saying, if I'm at home, I'm going to spend the time I would be serving uh, praying for the ministries of the church. That, that is not a, a secondary thing. Prayer is not uh, preparation for ministry, not backup for ministry. It is ministry. It is a way to serve our community. Now, I'll tell you this. The times when I feel the most wealthy, like I have the most money, are not the times when I'm paying a big bill. Even if the bill took a lot of money and I had to have a lot of money to pay the bill, That is not when I feel the most wealthy. You know when I feel the most wealthy? Is when someone has a need and I've got some extra money and I say, hey, I I could actually use this money to help that person and I do it and then I realize I'm gonna be totally okay. I I had the the, the ability to do that. That's what made me feel like I had an abundance of resources. The same thing is true with your time. The the times when you feel like you have the most is when you realize I can serve someone else, give this away and I'm still gonna be okay. I've got the time. Uh, let, me, let me end by uh, backing up and pointing out how amazing these two questions are. Who am I and why am I here? I'm the beloved child of God and I'm here to be the servant of all. Uh, these questions work together so amazingly. It's the breathing in and breathing out. We receive the love of God and we breathe out service to other people. And if you let those answers sink in, it makes it so that you are free to say no to really time-consuming things because they don't define you, but it also makes you free to say yes 
to really time-consuming things because you know the very best life you can live is one that you give your time away to other people. This was Jesus' secret. The reason he had such a full life and yet was so unhurried. It was, it was the reason he was brimming with time. What we're gonna do now is we are going to sing one final song. As we do that, we're gonna receive our gifts and our offerings. But before we do that, let me pray for us. God, we want these things to sink in. We, we want to know your love, your, your acceptance, your delight. We want to experience our identity as your children. So God, I pray for each and every person here that you would give them that experience, that you give them moments in each day where they spend time with you and you remind them and you speak to them. God, I pray for all of us that you would also give us a deep sense of our purpose, that we would really believe that to serve is the best way to live. Uh, that you would give us uh, a freedom to say yes to things, uh, knowing that the, the servant of all is the one uh, who is first in the kingdom. So God, I, I pray that you would uh, guide each one of us to the thing you want us to be doing in this next season, how you want us to be serving. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.